Well, good morning. I invite you to take the word of the Lord this morning and open it to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 is our text as we continue through our study through this amazing book in the New Testament. Today our text is Romans 11 beginning in verse number 11 and down to verse number 24. I'd like to ask that if you are able that you would stand out of reverence for God's word as it is read. Romans 11, 11 through 24. Let us hear the word of Almighty God spoken to us through the Apostle Paul this morning. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree... Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they... Do not continue in their unbelief will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we confess together that these are your words spoken to us. And so now, Lord, as we seek to look at your word, we pray in dependence upon you to send your Holy Spirit through your word and bring it to life in our lives. Father, you know exactly what each of us need to hear from you this morning. So, Father, we pray that your word would indeed be living and active. 
Lord, that it would cut us, wound us, heal us, encourage us, strengthen us, and cause us to persevere in the faith. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. In the precious name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you have well noticed, Romans chapters 9 through 11 have a lot to say about being Jew and Gentile and how that relates to being a child of God. It's a repeated theme in these chapters that we've been seeing week to week, and I would suggest to you it's a repeated theme because it's a very important theme. The people of God, the children of Abraham, are made up of both ethnic Jews and ethnic Gentiles. Being ethnically Jewish did not make one a true child of God a true offspring of Abraham, for Paul has already said in chapter 9, verse number 6, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. The dividing line, as we have seen each and every week, is Jesus Christ. The door into being an offspring of Abraham was through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The church in Rome that Paul was writing to in this great letter, needed to hear this. They needed to know this. They needed to know what God's plan and his promises were. They needed to know that God's plan hadn't failed, and they needed to know that God's promises stand. As we saw in the first part of chapter 11, even though many ethnic Israelites have rejected Jesus, God still hasn't rejected them corporately. In our passage today, Paul's going to continue that similar theme, and we're going to see that even most of the Jews at that time, most of them were hardened. God was not done with them. This is important for the believers at that church in Rome to realize because, as we're going to see, they were being tempted to fall into pride in their own life because of the circumstances in front of them and to fall into arrogance And so Paul is going to write this to them about what God's plan of salvation looks like, what the grand scheme of things is that God is up to, and also the Christians that are in Rome are going to be warned about coming to the wrong conclusion about their inclusion into the people of God. God has something, I am sure, for each and every one of us to learn from these verses today. God has something for each of us here to hear and to apply into our own lives from these verses. So as we come to God's word this day, I pray that we come humbly. I pray that we come to receive what he would say to us. As we look at these verses, we could summarize what Paul is getting at here in kind of two main points, two main thoughts. First, in verse 11 to 16, he's going to describe for us in kind of a big picture sort of way God's plan. We're going to see God's plan. And then we're going to see God's warning in verses 17 to 24. So God's plan 
and then God's warning. Let's first look at God's plan here in verse 11 to 16. The question Paul raises in verse 11 has to do with permanence. He says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? In other words, since Israel has by and large not received Jesus as Savior, since, as we've seen, they've tried to come to God through works of the law instead of by faith, is God completely done with them? So this question has to do with uh, a perpetual rejection. Is God perpetually, is he just sort of done with ethnic Jews? Is their falling irrevocable? Is it irreversible? And that is what Paul is saying here. Have they stumbled to the point that they're not going to get back up? And his answer is a big picture answer. His answer has to do with God's plan of salvation for the world and how that comes about. So there are two main ways that Paul describes for us God's plan. And his answer, of course, is no, God is not completely done with ethnic Jews. They have fallen but they are going to get back up. They've been knocked down, they've stumbled, but it's not irrevocable. They're not knocked out, they are going to come back. So two main ways that Paul describes this plan for us is first, the Jewish rejection bring, brings about Gentile acceptance. So in God's plan, the Jewish rejecting Jewishness, rejecting of him, brings about Gentile acceptance. We see this in verse 11 and verse 13 and 14. In God's sovereign plan, he's determined through his being rejected by many ethnic Jews to use that to bring in many Gentiles. Verse 11 says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And that is what the church in Rome and many other areas in the writing of the New Testament, that's what they were seeing, that's what they were experiencing. Those in the church of Rome where Paul was writing to would look around in their congregation as they were gathering together. They could look around like we're here this morning and they would see mainly Gentiles. Yes, we just need to clarify that. A Gentile is not a Jew, okay? So the two categories here that we're working off of, you're either a Jew ethically or you're not. So if you're not a Jew this morning, you would be categorized here as a Gentile. And so they would look around at the congregation and see mainly Gentile Christians, Gentile Jews, we might say. Although there would be, no doubt, some Jewish Christians in their churches, Jewish Jews, we might say. And we know this is true because we're going to see some disputes come about in chapter 14 in Romans. So just hang in there. And In chapter 14, we're going to see people arguing about eating meat and only eating vegetables. And then people are going to be arguing there in that chapter about certain types of worship on one day and another day. And all of this is going to come into play because you've got Jews and Gentiles in the church together. But the big picture was that salvation had come to the Jews, but many rejected it, and many, many, many Gentiles were now receiving salvation through Jesus Christ. And Paul is looking at them and saying, look, this is according to God's plan. God is using this. God is using their rejection to bring about Gentile inclusion into the family of God. 
the same point is made in verse 13 and verse 14. He says there, point blank, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, right? So he's speaking to these Gentiles in the church, and he says, inasmuch then I'm apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. He makes much of his ministry. It's like he's saying here, listen to me, church in Rome. Here is my role. Here is my calling. It's about calling the Gentiles to faith, and I make much of that ministry. I magnify it to bring Gentiles into the fold of God. That is my mission. That is what God has called me to do. And then in verse 14, Paul says that he does this with what desire? The desire to make the Jews jealous. And to what end? So that then they will come in to salvation. More on that in just a moment. But the first point here is that God's plan, in God's plan, Jewish rejection brings about Gentile acceptance. And Paul is wanting to make this crystal clear to them that, look, what you see around you is according to God's plan. God is in control. God is doing a work. His promises have not failed. Second point we see here is Jewish rejection is not the end of the story. Verse 12 and verse 15 and 16 speak to this aspect. Paul again wants these Gentile Christians to know God is still going to be calling and bringing to salvation ethnic Jews. We see this in verse 12 and verse 15 and 16. Look at verse 12 again. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Look at verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, very same concept as verse 12, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Paul is saying here in verse 16, look, if the beginnings are holy, think here of the patriarchs in the Old Testament of God calling Abram out of Ur, etc., and the promises that God has made to them. If they are holy, then so are their offspring. If God has worked through them, he's going to continue to work through them. In fact, this is God's plan. This has been God's plan from the beginning. Even in the midst of Jewish rebellion and Gentile acceptance, God uses their rejection of him and the inclusion of the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. Jealous so that they will see the blessings of Christ that these are receiving and then so that they will come to the faith. There are at least two things we need to take away from all of this, two implications. There are many, but at least two. First, we need to see that God is a God who brings blessing out of cursings, out of sin, and out of judgment. God works blessings out of sin and judgment. That's what we need to see. God uses the rejection of the Jews to bring in the Gentiles and then uses the Gentiles' acceptance of him to make the Jews jealous and thus bring something good, to bring salvation to the Jews. You see, the conversion of the Gentiles has an eye to the conversion of the Jews. And you see, this is the type of God that we worship. God is a God who takes bad, sinful situations, 
to bring about good. God uses this, the Jews rejecting of him, to bring about the Gentiles in. And then God uses that thing to make the Jews jealous to bring them into salvation. And we can see God doing this in many examples of the Old Testament. And I assure you the same is true in your very life this morning. God uses and brings about blessings out of sin and difficult situations. We can rest and we can trust in God knowing that God is at work. When sufferings come about, the rejection here of people rejecting Jesus Christ, God is using that for good. He's using that to bring about salvation in others. And how many things have we seen in our own lives? Situations that you have faced in your life, difficulties as you kind of look back at your own personal timeline and you look back in your life and you see difficult, trying times and God uses it for good. Many times these are always seen in kind of uh, 2020 vision. It's easier to see when you're on the back side of it. And I would suggest to you many times we don't see how God is using good and bringing about good. We simply trust in him and know that he is because his word tells us he is. So God is a God who brings about blessings out of sin and judgment. The second implication we see here is a tender conviction to evangelize ethnic Jews. I don't think you can get away from this from these verses of Scripture. I would su suggest to you that these verses don't teach us we have to have a particular stance on the current nation-state of Israel, but they teach us we must have a tender conviction to share the gospel with ethnic Jews who are not trusting in Christ. Why? Because God is not done with them. It kind of boggles me to see um, people professing to be Christians, I assume them brothers and sisters in Christ, to say that we don't need to evangelize ethnic Jews. It just kind of boggles me to see that. I think we at least need to take from here and see that we need to evangelize anyone who is not trusting in Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile. We see clearly here that God is not done ethnically with his people. He is saving them and will save. This is God's plan. This is what God is up to. And this leads right into, secondly, God's warning in verse 17 to 24. Evidently, uh, some of the Gentile Christians were being tempted to think too highly of themselves. You know, people are people, right? We struggle with sin, and we're, we're going to look at the response of these Gentiles here, knowing it would be the exact same thing that we struggle with if we were in their shoes, and hopefully we're going to see this morning that we probably struggle with in our own life today. So Paul needed to address this issue. He needed to address them of thinking too highly of themselves. So Paul gives two warnings here, warnings to these Gentiles, warning to these believers in the church. The first is a warning against arrogance in verse 17 to 18. A warning against arrogance. Paul uses the image in verse 17 and following of an olive tree and branches. 
natural branches and wild branches. The olive tree was a symbol for Israel. All the people who read their Old Testament would know that to be true. The people of God, that's what the olive tree represented, was the people of God. Natural branches could be described as ethnic Jews. Wild branches as ethnic Gentiles. And just like we learned in God's plan in the previous verses, some ethnic Jews were broken off and Gentiles were grafted onto this tree. So you have natural branches broken off from the people of God and you have wild branches grafted in to the people of God. Now, I don't really think that Paul is giving a horticultural lesson here in these verses. There's a lot of people and a lot of discussion on uh, horticulturally of taking a wild uh, shoot and grafting it onto an older uh, uh, vine. You actually are supposed, people do the opposite. You take the old and you graft it onto the fresh strength of the new, etc. Paul is, is simply getting here at teaching and a symbolism here for who are the people of God. Verse 24 states, it's not natural to graft a wild olive branch into a cultivated olive tree. Again, you usually do the opposite. But Paul is teaching here. He's giving us a theological lesson. Just a, another important underlying note for us to make. Notice that Paul does not have two olive trees here in this analogy. One for the Jews and then one for the church. Notice, notice that's not the case here. No, the church the New Testament people of God, both Jew and Gentile, are grafted into the one olive tree. You have one olive tree, one people of God. And Paul teaches here that the church and Israel are all part of one tree together, not two separate trees. Important truths for us to see in these verses. So what's the problem here? What's the warning that he's getting at? Look at verse 17 here in 18. He says, here's the line of reasoning. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root, or literally here the fat, of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. You see, the Gentiles were being tempted to say, well, look at us. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. Other branches were broken off so that we could be grafted in. Hmm. Well, isn't that fancy? Isn't that nice? And then they began to look at the other branches sort of arrogantly. Well, we must be better than these other branches who were broken off what it means arrogantly thinking better they were thinking they were better than these other branches and they begin to look down on these Jews who had rejected the promises of God and there's a pertinent warning they needed to hear this is something that was true to them because many of the Jews were hostile towards those who had accepted Jesus in that day right so many many of the Jews in these churches they they had it out for the Christians I mean, just think of the Apostle Paul, right? What, what was he seeking to do before his conversion? He's seeking to do away with these people who are trusting in this Jew, Jesus Christ. 
And so many of those who in Rome were, uh, the Jews had rejected Jesus and they would reject the people and rail against them who were receiving Jesus. They did not like the Christians. They spoke badly about them, etc. Some translations use the word boast here in verse 18 to not boast against the branches. And so that temptation would be really real for them to look upon these people who were speaking rudely to them perhaps perhaps even more, and their thought would be, well, God broke you off so that he could put me on. Then Paul kind of cuts down, comes in and cuts them down, verse 18, and reminds them, here, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. In other words, they were not there, we are not here, because of our greatness. They were supported by the very Jewish patriarchs that they were looking down on. And Paul reminded them that Gentiles, we Gentiles are beneficiaries of the covenant promises first given to Abraham, to the patriarchs, and to Israel. Therefore, there's no room to be arrogant. And we need to hear that principle today. The same thing is very true for us here. The principle for us is that we are not to look down on others based upon, first off, based upon their ethnicity. Because that is what is happening here. You had these Gentiles looking down on the Jews. Why? Because they were Jews. Somehow thinking that they were superior to them. And so that's a very important thing for us to take take to heart this morning. There's no room in the Christian faith, there's no room in the family of God to look down on somebody else simply because of ethnicity. I would continue to argue here that there is no place for us to look down on others who are not in church or who are not following after Christ. For for sure these Jews were not in church in their gatherings. They, They were out, they were rejecting, obviously they were broken off. And the problem is they were thinking they were better than those other people. We are to show love and concern for all people. All people. In fact, didn't Jesus himself say that we're to love our enemies? That those who do bad against us in return, we're to show kindness and love and gentleness? We see that same truth needing to be applied to the church here and I would suggest we need to be reminded over and over again that is always to be our stance if we come to the point that we as Christians think that we uh, arrogantly think we're better than other people because we're in here and other people are not there's no place in the family of God for arrogance for boasting the problem here is their boast was boasting in themselves Can you think of where the Bible does tell us to boast and what we are to boast about? We're to boast in Jesus Christ. We're to boast in what he has done for us. And may God help us to be a family, a follower of people who don't boast in anything that we are, but always to be pointing our finger to Jesus Christ and the cross, boasting in what he has done for us. So this is the first warning Paul gives to the churches there in Rome. It's a warning against arrogance and very closely related to that is a 
a warning against pride. The thought carries over from these verses into verse 19 and 24, and Paul anticipates another argument. He does this all throughout the book of Romans, doesn't he? He anticipates an argument, and so he brings it up and he answers it. So here's the argument. Well, verse 19, then you will say, now here's what you'll say to that. Well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Paul says there, well, that is true. You can see that temptation to pride here. The Gentiles are tempted to look down on others, others who were not part of the olive tree. They were grafted in, and they're tempted to think they were favored over the others because of something in themselves. And Paul is quick to come in and say, yes, yes, they were broken off, but they were not broken off for the reason you think. They were not broken off because the Gentiles were wonderful, moral, deserving people who needed to be grafted into the olive tree. No, why were they broken off? What does the text tell us? They were broken off because of unbelief. They were broken off because of unbelief in Christ. The Jews were broken off because they did not receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Verse 20 says, that is true, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith so that you do not become proud, but stand in awe. Paul warns them here of pride, of being proud. It's in the form of a negative positive command, isn't it? Don't become proud, rather stand in fear. Many of our translations here, they translate proud and fear differently. Proud is literally, and some of your translations might have here, high-minded. Right? Don't, don't, be, don't think of yourself so highly. Some translate conceited, arrogant, haughty. It's thinking too highly of yourself. It's what pride is. And this is a temptation for all of God's people especially those who have been in church for some period of time. We can lose sight of grace. We can see progress in our own lives, progress that comes about through the grace of the Holy Spirit given to us. And we can kind of miss that and begin to think too highly of ourselves. To think, yeah, yeah, I can see why God would bring me into his family I mean, I, I can see that. I'm a pretty good person. I, I can see how God would bring me into his family and not, not someone else. And our underlying pride expresses itself in statements like this. I can't believe that person would not receive the gospel when I shared it with them. I mean, don't they get it? I got it. I understood, I believe, why can't this person, I, I just, it baffles me when this person here hears the gospel and they just didn't receive it. Instead of realizing the only reason you believed it and you got it is because God enabled you to get it and to, to receive it. The only reason that we as believers show love to God is because he first showed love to us. It's all of grace. I remember years ago being in a little church during the time we were in seminary, so this was 
many moons ago. And I was teaching Sunday school in this church. And only problem was, uh, the other, another person in the Sunday school class was a professor at the seminary. And uh, so this was a very tough time for me, uh, teaching this with a, a professor in the class. But one day I remember somebody, I think they were either sharing about a situation and it was in a prayer request type of format. And they were sharing about a man who had left his family. He had a wife, he had children, and this man left his family to run away with another woman. And they took off and they were sharing about this to pray for this family, to pray for this man, to return to the Lord, to pray for the wife and for the kids who were left and abandoned. And after this person shared, this seminary professor spoke up. And he said this, but by the grace of God, there go I. And that floored me. That floored me. I mean, here was a seminary professor that was one of the holiest men that I knew. I mean, he had six kids. He had to be holy, right? I mean, this, this was before we had, if you know our number of kids, it was before that, right? I, this, was a, this was a super guy memorizing scripture, this guy, so well read and everything. And that literally floored me, and that rattled my theology. And that statement is true, because the attitude of that man was an attitude of grace that knew that the only reason he was in the family of God was for the grace and the mercy of God. Later come to find out that statement, uh, I don't think he came up with it. There's an English reformer by the name of John Bradford, He was a preacher in the 1500s and he was burned at the stake uh, for his faith in 1555. And it was often said of this man, uh, uh, attributed to him, there might be some debate if he's the one that came up with it, but it's often attributed to him that when he would be in the town and he he would see prisoners that were being led away to be executed, that he would say to those around him, there... But for the grace of God goes John Bradford. So he looked at these prisoners walking away to be executed. I would submit to you that that should be our attitude towards others to be grounded upon the fact that we are only standing here based upon the grace and the mercy of God, period. Not of anything that we have done but because of God extending grace and mercy to us through Jesus Christ. Pride also expresses itself in our lack of wonder at what God has done. Our lack of our worship to him. Our lack of tears. Our lack of deep-seated emotions that pour out of thanks to God. Well, What is the antidote to pride? The Bible has many answers to this. It's a multifaceted answer, not just one-sided When Job tried to place God underneath his questions, God asked Job some questions. Ephesians tells us that we're saved by grace through faith and this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. Earlier in Romans, we're reminded that God died for us while we were still his enemies. There are many other passages and reasons given in scripture, but here Paul says don't become proud, don't think too highly of yourself, but rather fear. Fear, fear. My, my 
translation of the ESV is a little bit older and the newer one has fear instead of stand in awe. I like that better. Fear. The word is fear. Well, fear who? How, how, who are we to fear? Well, the answer, of course, is to fear God. Fear God. How should I fear God? How should I fear God? And how does fearing God help get rid of pride in my life? Well, answer given here is because God is both kind and severe. And if you don't continue to trust in him by faith alone, you likewise will be cut off. Paul says, verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. You think you're something? Look, they didn't believe and God cut them off. The same exact thing will happen to you. Don't think so mightily of yourself. And then he says, note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. And then look at the phrase, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. So in order for us to be humble, in order for us to squash pride, we need to ponder God's kindness and we need to ponder God's severity. His forgiveness of sins, his judgment of sin, The reason, again, the Jews were broken off was why? Unbelief. And we're called upon to consider God's kindness to us who believe. To consider God's kindness. I ask you this morning, how has God been kind to you? In your life, how has God been kind to you? I think we could answer Many, 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 many ways God has been kind to us. The most grandest way that God has been kind to us is God has saved us from our sin. God has saved us from an eternity of punishment. Oh, brothers and sisters, I, I, our, our understanding of the kindness of God is going to grow so much when we die. Because I think we're going to see so clearly more what God has saved us from and what God has brought us into. We, we kind of think of hell today. We don't necessarily like to talk about hell because we think it's mean and unkind. It just shows our lack of biblical knowledge and understanding. I, I just one glimpse of the punishment of God in hell would do so much for us to consider the kindness of God shown to us in Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. God dying on the cross for us. God showing his kindness to us in daily matters and other ways that God has shown kindness to his people. That helps us fight against pride in our life of thinking too much because we realize everything we have has been given to us from God. The kindness of God, the severity of God. The severity of God helps us fear. Just read your Bibles, right? Read God's word. Read in the New Testament. Read in the Old Testament and I think we'll understand how we are to fear God. Because to read about God and to know about God, I submit to you, is to fear him. God is not to be trifled with. 
God, God is not somebody that is just in a sense of buddy-buddy kind of commonality and we don't think too much of him. No, God is holy. God is amazing. God is powerful. God is to be worshiped and listened to and praised and submitted to and trusted in. There's no place for us to be over top of God. God's kindness is shown to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ, I I just call out to you and I plead to you from these verses here this morning to say to you, God is both kind and severe. God is true to his judgment and his judgment is, is that if we're not confessing faith in Christ, if we're not trusting in the plan of salvation that God has given to us, God has promised to save us. If we look to Christ and trust in him, we'll be forgiven of our sins. God has called us to do that. If you trust in him, you will be saved. Trust in him and realize what God's word has said and what your conscience deep down in your heart knows to be true. Sin will be punished. So look to Christ. Paul says in order for us to To squash pride, we have to look at what God has done, his kindness and his severity. There's a great language here of perseverance in the text, isn't it? Of perseverance, of of him saying, stand fast through faith. Continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off, provided you continue in his kindness. All of these, these, these thoughts throughout these verses. It's all persevering language. God's free gift of salvation given to us does not bypass our actions and our choosing of him. The Bible teaches that only those who persevere to the end will be saved. And there are biblical categories for those who confess Christ with their mouth but do not produce fruit in their lives. Those who hear God's word, Matthew tells us, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. God's divine sovereignty doesn't do away with the necessity of continuing to trust in the gospel. We must endure. All of those who are truly saved will endure to the end. And praise God for the blessedness of Romans chapter 8 and the end of that, that knowing for God's people absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The dividing line was faith. And as these verses conclude in 23 and 24, we can see that unbelief, belief given again. Speaking back about the Jews, and even, he says, they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. It's if they don't continue in their unbelief. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God is is, is able to do this with more difficult, certainly he can do it with the the cultivated. He can do it with the natural branches if he grafts in those that are unnatural. God is able to do it. How? Well, according to his power and according to these, as it says, receiving him by faith, believing in him. Yes, Paul needed to remind the Christians here of God's plan, God's plan at work to bring the Gentiles into faith. 
to bring the Gentiles into the family of God and that God uses this for his glory and his means and the salvation of his people. And I think we all need to hear a warning this day against the pride and the root of arrogance that just like crabgrass in our yards and weeds is always trying to grow up and fester in our lives. That we would be continually humbled as we think about what God has given to us in Christ Jesus, his kindness, and likewise his severity. May we come to him on our knees, confessing faith and trust, not in what we've done, but what Jesus did for us. For all that we have, we've been given by God. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word We thank you for how your word cuts us and I pray, Father, that your word heals us and strengthens us. Father, I ask today that even now if there's someone who would be honest with himself and with you and confess that they do not know you, they're not trusting in you, that they would believe your promises even now at this very moment that they would trust in your kindness shown to us in Christ Jesus and receive your promise. Father, would you help us as your people to always be a humble people. Help us fight arrogance in our lives. Help us fight pride in our life. And Lord, help us to be a church that is corporately humble and acknowledges our need of you always. Help us to show these things in the way that we treat other people the disposition of our mouths and the disposition of our hearts before you. And may it all be to the praise and to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.